0: Hello, everyone. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to uh, this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to hear some of the great interviews uh, that have been conducted on JM and the AM and uh, hear from some of the wonderful guests that we've had. Yaakov Katz, the editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post, joined us recently to discuss uh, Israeli politics and, uh, in general, Israel as as, uh, she relates to uh, other countries on this globe. Yaakov Katz, our conversation... Regarding uh, Israel and the political scene, uh, comes up first this week, and it's next right here at JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, Yaakov Katz has graciously uh, agreed to join us, and I thank him. He is editor in chief at the Jerusalem Post. Yaakov Katz, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Greatly appreciated. Uh, well, we know what happened in uh, Barcelona yesterday, and one of the uh, one of the things that actually your publication and your online presence always reminds us about, thankfully is when these things happen unfortunately around the world is uh, whether these areas are hot spots for Israeli tourism. What do we know about Barcelona and uh, whether it attracts Israelis or not during the month of August?
1: Oh, you have a ton of Israelis who are traveling there in the month of August, right? Well also you know I think uh It was just yesterday or or tomorrow that they're expecting the largest volume of, uh, of Israeli travelers coming through Ben Gurion Airport, departing and arriving. Uh, reaching over 100,000 in a single day, which is a, a high number for Israel. But you have a lot of them that go to Spain. Spain is nearby. It's fairly, relatively uh, inexpensive to get there. And there's a lot of travel, holiday packages, flight plus hotel plus tourism and, and tour guide and that kind of thing. So you have a lot of Israelis who travel there. And also let's not forget that this attack took place right outside a kosher restaurant, which a lot of, right. I think, Jews and, uh, and Israelis frequent over the years and are familiar with. So, uh, so it's definitely an area that's highly uh, populated and visited by Israelis and by Jews.
0: I saw some report, like a fleeting report that I saw yesterday about um, Israeli authorities concerned about unaccounted for Israelis. Have you heard anything like that, where there are, there are Israelis that are in Barcelona or known to be in Barcelona who just haven't been tracked down yet? Well,
1: uh, what happens in Israel is immediately after uh, something like this happens—a terror attack on a, on a large scale—and we've seen the numbers of people killed and it and wounded. And this is this would definitely constitute uh, a mass casualty terrorist attack. Uh, and you know, also the the, the van and 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 other terrorists involved. I mean, this is not just one isolated incident. And there was a second attack later in the evening. Right. So. What you have is, uh, at the Foreign Ministry, they, they set up the Situation Room, and there they start to uh, field phone calls from, let's say, concerned parents or concerned relatives of, you know, I've been trying to track down my brother, sister, uncle, aunt, father for the past few hours and haven't been able to get through to them. Can you help us? Can you, you know, use your people on the ground, the consul General, the Ambassador, other Embassy, Israeli representatives who are based in, Bar- in, in Spain to try to help? And, and that's what they do. Um, I think because of the location of this attack, you had the prime minister himself, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, who also serves in another hat as Israel's foreign minister, came to the situation room to oversee things uh, at some point yesterday because I think there was an initial concern that you might have uh, a number of Israelis and and Jews who would be injured in this attack. Uh, So he he got involved himself on a personal level. But that's basically what Is as far as I know, you know, Usually in these cases, it's people who just are off the grid or are partying or having a good time, and that seems to have been the case here as well.
0: Yaakov Katz, editor in chief, Jerusalem Post. I don't even know if there's a, a, a an accurate way to answer this question, but uh, aside from um, aside from stepping up their own security, I can imagine you know Jerusalem restaurants and Tel Aviv restaurants, you know, were more concerned yesterday after this happened, and and besides the call for people you know to leave foreign countries and move to Israel. In what other ways do Israelis react to these types of attacks around the world? Is there a general sense that you could describe for us? Well, I think Israelis react to it in two different ways. One is, you know, it gives them a feeling
1: of what's happening by us is also happening other places in the world, that this isn't something that's unique just against Israelis and against Jews, right? Let's not forget. I think I saw it with like a CNN tweet or a little short video where they spoke, where they, they tweeted out where uh, um, uh, these kind of drive attacks, ramming attacks have taken place in other cities around the world, and they neglected to mention Israel, right, or <laughs> Jerusalem, or Tel Aviv. I mean, these are, these have been happening. They were created and invented in Israel um, yeah. <laughs> against Israelis, mm. and now they're being used in other places. Uh, but I think that that's on the one hand. On the other hand, though, you get that, that, that exactly what the CNN tweet tells me is that double standard that we keep on encountering, right, is how as if Jewish blood is, is less valuable than, than other blood. And, and, and how, how is it? why is a ramming attack in, in, in Barcelona something that warrants to be included in that tweet, but a ramming attack that took place in Jerusalem where you had a baby that was killed a couple of years ago or other incidents like that don't even get mentioned as if they don't happen. Like, somehow those ramming attacks are different, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to keep in mind those two things, that first of all, for the Western world, what happens in Israel? It usually just originates there, but it tends to spread, and we see this constantly. We saw that with suicide bombers, right? Remember when they started in Israel in two thousand and five? Just as sure. an example, they blew up in in London, right? We saw that with uh, with ramming attacks just now, stabbing in Tefada. We had in Israel. We saw stabbings on streets of Europe. Um, you know, this is something that spreads, and, and until the Western world realizes that and starts to condemn. And act swiftly when it occurs in a place like Israel. It's going to continue to spread to their countries as well.
0: On the double standard issue, remember after the Bataclan attack, the hesitation to include Prime Minister Netanyahu in the in the march and the, and the you know observances that were going on in Paris. Of course, right. I
1: remember you know, and 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 they kind of pushed him. I remember in that march that they had to the second right. row, and, and there was a whole you know tumult about that. But look, it, it, the, the world has yet to realize that. Israel is at the forefront of this battle against terrorism. And until they, they recognize that, that simple fact, right, and give Israel the support that it needs, and i am put peace aside for a moment. This has nothing to do with the Palestinian question. This has to do with the fight on terror. Only then will they also be able to effectively t- fight terror.
0: Yaakov Katz, Jerusalem Post editor-in-chief. Let's go back from terrorism back to what you described earlier in, in tourism. And this 100,000 figure, we were in Israel uh, Tuesday, this quick turnaround landing with Neveshman and coming right back. Uh, it, it's funny because I, I I said to the people with me that it just seemed on a regular Tuesday afternoon, you know, I always think that, you know, the evening is more of a, a more traffic time in the, uh, in the airport. Maybe that's only, you know, for New York area flights. But a regular Tuesday afternoon, it, it was almost impossible to navigate passport control, get through the crowds and to... You know, just make it through the airport. Is Israel? Is there any word about Israeli authorities at Ben Gurion actually having trouble with the number of people that that they've, you know, escalated to? Look, they beef up they beef
1: up uh, employees and and presence in the summer months. But you know, it, 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 we tend to forget Israel is, a, is you know usually tends to look at a small little country, isolated, you know, besieged, right? you have the 6 million Jews, 8 million Israelis, including 2 million Arabs. They love to travel, right? right? And they travel a heck of a lot. And, you know, you'll, you'll probably hear stories all the time of, you know, I was in South America, I was in India, I was in, you know, Timbuktu or wherever, or some far corner of the earth, and who did I bump into a group of Israelis? <laughs> right. so they're, they're all over the place. <laughs> Plus, and, Chabad's and,
0: reputation is getting enhanced by all the Israeli presence around the world. Of course. Right? Chabad has built up an empire because mm. of all these Israeli backpackers. But yeah. the,
1: uh, the, the the Israelis who travel, so... Come August, the country effectively shuts down, right? And people are, are, you know, government shuts down. uh, Almost all offices go on break, uh, big offices at least. So you have a lot of people who are traveling. A lot are going outside the country. I think, you know, I saw a statistic also not long ago how uh, around Pesach time, you had hundreds of thousands of Israelis who left the country. Now, remember, we're just 8 million people. At the moment, Mm. you have hundreds of thousands, (laughs) (laughs) 400,000 people who left over Pesach. I mean, that's a significant percentage of your entire population, right? And, and, you know, it was like a fifth of Israel's population. That's astounding. What other country does a fifth of its population actually leave, right? So, you know, Israelis love to travel. They love to see the world. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Israel is a small little country, but it also has, I think it shows a lot of, of Israel standing today also in the world. You know, there are the challenges, there are the problems, but people want Israeli tourists. People are encouraging Israelis to come visit their countries because they know that these are, they're educated, they're smart, they spend money. You know, those are the kind of tourists you want to get.
0: Yaakov Katz with us. He's editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NahumSegal.com, on the NahumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. You reacted in an article uh, to what happened in Charlottesville and President Trump's reaction with with many quotes. Here's one of them from the article. Being president does not make someone a leader. Leadership is attained through the actions of women and men who do what is right, even if it is not always popular. Trump failed in one of the most basic an elementary test. Now, you have sent this out and, and obviously made this public. Uh, the reaction to your article: people felt you were too truff, tough on Trump or not tough enough.
1: Uh, to be honest, people thought I was quite tough. Right. But I, I think it was a moment that we as Jews and I and I definitely view my job as the editor in chief of the Jerusalem Post, as the editor in chief of a newspaper that is the most important newspaper in the Jewish world and caters to to, to the readers of the to the members of the Jewish world and the members of the Jewish community. And therefore, I think that when there is a, a, uh, an equation or there is a moral equivalence, it seems, between uh, neo-Nazis on one side, and you know they could be left-wing or alt-left, as the president called, called them, I don't know, right on the, on, the, on the left side or on the other side, on the opposing side, it's something that we need to stand up and very clearly say this is an equivalence that we will not accept. And I think that, you know, 70 plus years after World War II, right, or after uh, the, the Holocaust, and to have these flags and people chanting, Jews will not replace us, walking through the streets of Charlottesville, and for, for the president to say, there were some fine people among them. Well, I think when, when, when you have a march of where people are saying Jews will not replace us, no one who's in that march is going to be a fine person. These are all people who we need to oppose, and we need to be very clear on that. So I, I felt that as you know, as, as as the Jerusalem Post, we had to make a very clear statement that this is something that we we are against. Now, with that said, that doesn't uh, you know mean that I think the president himself is an anti-Semite or a neo-Nazi. Not at all, far from it. But I think that you need moral clarity in a moment like this, and that was something that I felt was missing.
0: So you're not uh, you're not avoiding or denying the potential damage from the left. You're just looking at it as an, at you know in isolation it, as a separate topic, and that is that if neo-Nazis are marching. And uh, and and certainly, you know, if 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 one goes ahead and under, undertakes murderous activity, terrorism, uh, they have to be condemned unequivocally. But
1: let, let, let me let me tell you even more than that. You know, I, I grew up in Chicago before moving to Israel twenty four years ago. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. My grandfa My grandparents lived in Skokie, Illinois, ah, and were very active right. in trying to prevent the neo Nazis from marching in Skokie back in the late nineteen seventies. Sure. Right. Jimmy Carter, who was then the president at the time, made a very clear statement, right? This is, you know, it was the courts that that that, that this was taken to. The ACLU actually defended the neo-Nazis Correct. for the right for freedom of speech to, to, to march there, right. which is itself shameful, but put that aside for a moment. But he made a very clear statement that this is something that's unacceptable, right, as president of the United States. And I think that that is... That is something that we need to hear as well on, on issues like this. There are things that there are lines that are not crossed. There is no gray in some matters. And and when it comes to these types of issues, you have to make a very clear moral and principle uh, and that's what I meant with, my, with what I wrote, that right. quote that you said about being president. Being president isn't just getting to that lofty position. It's also about how do you take your people and lead them and steer them in a direction that is a positive direction. And this was that opportunity that I felt that President Trump
0: missed. I, 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 and I'm not saying this applies to you, seriously, with all due respect. I'm not saying this applies to you. But I think to a degree, some people find it difficult to take the media's criticism on a specific issue of the president seriously when they criticize him on every issue. When they have never have a nice thing to say about him.
1: So. Look, I agree. I mean, I I, I tend to all say, and I read the New York Times, I read the Washington Post, I read what's called the mainstream media. You know, the MSM, what they refer to as the liberal media, right. and I, and I see uh, this. This obsession to constantly attack the the, the president, you know, there's also a similar situation, by the way, in Israel right now, where there's certain media in Israel that seems to constantly be attacking the prime minister of Israel. Now, let me, let me give you that example. You know, we know how to be critical of Prime Minister Netanyahu. There's investigations that are going on right now, but we also know how to compliment and 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 favorably cover where favor is due and where those compliments are are, are, are necessary. And you know, so. No, Nothing is, is black and white, and I think also the same applies to the president. Look, his visit to Israel was astounding. I personally wrote in my name how it was historic on so many different levels when the president came to Israel a few months ago. Right. You know, So there's a lot of good in this relationship between President Trump and the Jewish community, between President Trump and Israel. Uh, ties are going to a whole new level right now as we speak. You have a, a, a very senior Israeli delegation that's here in the United States Right from the head of Israel's Mossad, the head of Israel's uh, Aman, the, the military intelligence, Israel's national security advisor, are here meeting with the top national security council officials in in America. Uh, General Mike Master is leading the U.S. side of those talks. Right. right. So th- th- those those that relationship, the bilateral ties between Israel and the United States, are reaching new levels as we speak. But still, despite that, and we know how to how to give that the right coverage that it needs, you also have to point out, and I think that's the job of a newspaper and the job of the media is to be the watchdog for democracies when values that we hold dearly, and I think we as the Jewish community hold these values dearly, we have to speak up. Now, let's put politics aside for a moment. I know it's difficult, and I know that the environment is volatile, mm-hmm. it's politically volatile, right. but there are some issues that you have to take a very principled stand
0: on. Got it. Yaakov Katz with us. He is the editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. Finally, and again, I don't know if it's fair to ask you for predictions, but we're so curious, especially from thousands of miles away. uh, You just mentioned the accusations against the prime minister, and of course his wife is, uh, is also a target of a potential indictment. I mean, number one, will either or both of them actually get indicted? And can you describe for us the level, low or high, of the accusations against them?
1: Uh, that, that, that's a difficult question to answer in you know just a few seconds, but the, uh, excuse me for one second. Yes, sir. Sorry. The, 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 you have to divide into two. There's the investigations against the prime minister's wife, Sarah Netanyahu, that there seems to be a recommendation by the police. Well, there already is a recommendation by the police that to indict her for the housekeeping affair, right? the misuse of, of uh, state funds in running the homes of the prime minister, the one on Belfort Street in Jerusalem, as well as the one in Caesarea. That that's their private residence, but it is maintained by the state budget. Um, the attorney general has yet to make a final decision, but from reports that have been coming out in the press in Israel, it seems that the direction is going to be to press charges against her. That's number one. I, I you know, I wouldn't expect to see Sarah Netanyahu behind uh, prison bars anytime right. soon. But that, you know, that'll 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 be a uh, that will be an uncomfortable and inconvenient situation to have the prime minister's wife, you know, going to court and, and facing uh, charges. The prime minister is currently facing two, and I call it two-and-a-half investigations. The first one is the gift probe. And there, you see, the problem there is that the dry law is very clear. You are not allowed, as a state and government employee, to receive gifts. Call the Homer, right, even more so, to receive gifts on an industrial scale, as it seems that Prime Minister Netanyahu was receiving from some friends the cigars, the champagne, the jewelry, and other stuff, Right. So that is just completely illegal. You don't have to prove a quid pro quo. It's not as if I give you a gift and then you know you, you put me on your radio show all the time, right? <laughs> that would be a quid pro quo. That's not the case here. It's enough just for you to get for, for the prime minister to get the gifts for charges to be pressed. But here you have to ask yourself a simple question. Do you throw a government into political or not a government, a country into political up- political upheaval? I mean, think about how much elections cost. Billions of shutdowns, right? It creates governmental paralysis because the moment elections are declared, all ministries basically have to shut down. They can't really function. No new initiatives. No big programs are going to be able to be pushed through. And that lasts for about a year between the election season to when you start to form the government, to when new ministers come into office and they have to start to learn the ropes. So this, this, this basically throws the country into paralysis for a year. Is it worth doing that because the prime minister did something wrong, got gift. On a large scale, wrong, bad, according to the dry law. But do you want to do that because of something like this? There's no If there's no quid pro quo, quid pro quo takes it to a whole new level, bribery, right? right? But that's the question I think that the attorney general is grappling with right now. The second probe has to do with the, uh, um, the Yedioth Ahornot, those conversations that mm-hmm. were recorded between him and the owner of Yedioth Ahornot, the large mass circulation newspaper in Israel, that it seemed that Netanyahu was offering to cut back on circulation of Yisrael Ayyom, a paper owned by Sheldon Adelson, which he's close to, um, in exchange for more favorable coverage of Initio Tachonov. If that was the case and Prime Minister actually acted on that, then that could actually be bribery. So that's something that's a little different. They're currently still investigating that one. And I say half an investigation because of the submarine affair, which I'm not going to get into right now, but could potentially at some stage also drag Netanyahu into it, although it seems at the moment that he's not. All of this together creates political vulnerability. And that means that, you know, when 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 let's put it like this way, when there's blood in the water, the political sharks, they they smell it and, and there's blood in the water right now. Netanyahu is vulnerable. He's a little more politically weak. And that throws everything up into here. Will there be elections early? Will there not? How much longer will he be able to stay on for uh, what happens once an indictment is, is submitted and charges are pressed? So there's a lot of big question marks right now. And and that vulnerability Makes other politicians feel that they can actually do something, so I would keep a close eye on this it's it's going to stay interesting for
0: a while so. and the most interesting part, as you just alluded to will be checking out who's positioning themselves who's who's becoming a bit more vocal who's becoming who's trying to become you know more of a leader on the political scene in israel
1: a hundred percent you've got the competing party heads who are definitely you know maneuvering as we speak. But also think within Likud itself, right? right. If who goes, Likud will need a new chairman, and there's a lot of people there who are kind of jostling for that position. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting political season. I think once we get back, probably after the High Game, things will start to pick up a bit more. You know, after Sukkot. so the, the Knesset is still on uh, is on recess until until after then, and then things will start to get a little more interesting.
0: Yaakov Katz, can't thank you enough. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and have a Shabbat Shalom. You, too. Thank you. Yaakov Katz is editor-in-chief at the Jerusalem Post. Amazing analysis. Um, check it out. Go to J-Post. You can go to J-Post and see his uh, his articles, certainly, and obviously all the news stories that Jerusalem Post is on top of on a, a regular basis, uh, hour by hour, minute by minute, frankly. Candle lighting at 729. Oh, that's interesting. On our app, someone just commented, our Israeli son is now traveling in Mongolia. First day, he met other Israelis. Yeah, I guess uh, what Yaakov just told us is 100% true. Seems every uh, exotic to, uh, well, maybe not so exotic country around the world is enjoying the presence of Israelis, especially this time of year. That was my conversation with Yaakov Katz, the editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. Next up, Lenny Solomon. He's got a a brand-new weekly tradition, which he'll explain, and he also has released a a brand-new single, which he plans on doing every single Rosh Chodesh. Lenny Solomon with brand-new music. He's next. On JM Rewind here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, we've mentioned that the king of schlock, that's right, the king himself, Real Royalty, is with us live via telephone. Lenny Solomon supposedly, and we'll get the, the confirmation and he'll describe the system, apparently he is uh, going to be releasing a brand new single every single month. Oh, maybe it coincides with Rosh Chodesh. After all, isn't today Rosh Chodesh? King of Schlock himself, Lenny Solomon, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you, Nachum. It's
2: so great to be here.
0: Unbelievable. How long has it been, Lenny? How many years have you been the king of Schlock, entertaining everybody around the world in all 50 states, as we know, and way beyond that with your amazing Schlock rock?
2: So, this is like 30, this is the 31st year. Oh, yeah. And I, the weirdest thing happened I, I was going through my old cassettes. Yeah. And in it, I found a live broadcast from 1985 with me and you.
3: Holy cow. And
2: I had just played uh, The Great Adventure with Kesher.
3: Holy cow.
2: And in it, you make this eerie prediction where you say, I just want to know that I heard from people that Lenny Solomon is going to make it. I've got to gotta digitize it for you. <laughs>
0: You've got to send <laughs> and, that to me. I can't believe it. Yes,
2: you said Lenny Solomon is going to make it. And um, and here we are. It's 32 years later.
0: <laughs> Look how true that prediction uh, was. You've played concerts in all 50 states. You've been in uh, Canada and Mexico. You're performing around the world. And, of course, you're still composing, still writing and doing special things. Is, is this a new concept, introducing a brand new single to us here at JM&AM? the AM?
2: Yes. As a matter of fact, this is a tremendous day in the annals of, of Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock because it is a to- we, are, we are going in a totally, you know, revolutionary direction. And yeah. it's all because of the Four Corners Project, which is our, our uh, not-for-profit, which is sponsoring a new webisode, which will be a weekly show. We are putting on a weekly show on YouTube called Jim, Jewish Inspirational Musical Messages. Yeah. Plus, we will be releasing a new song every single month, a new parody or a new original song, but right now we have three parodies lined up, ready for you. The first one is today because it's Rosh Hashanah. Right. The next one will be the Monday before Rosh Hashanah, and then the next one will be a month later, which will be after Sukkot. Very cool. And you guys will be the you Nahum, will be the worldwide debut of each one of these songs.
0: Very cool. We appreciate that. Getting ready for the brand new one in just a moment. Lenny Solomon is with us. He's got a brand new single that he's introducing this morning. And as you heard, just before Rosh Hashanah, he'll do one for next month. And Monday, October the 17th, just after Yontif, he'll do another one. His first three are parodies. Does today's parody have anything to do with this time of year? or It's not related to Elul and Rosh Hashanah.
2: It kind of is. It kind of is because, as you know, Elul is is a time of introspection. It's a time where you where you go over your deeds. You you look you look through the year. How did I do? So this song is called Torah Jew,
3: okay.
2: and it is a parody of the song Shape of You from Ed Sheeran. And what we talk about in there is when Rabbi Akiva is asked to to teach the Torah on one foot, a regalachat, and he says. He says, "Love your neighbor like yourself." All the rest is commentary, right. and that is something that, as all of us as Jews, need to look into because one of obviously we lost the temple, we lost the Beit Hamikdash because of this, of sinat chinam. So, you know, this this song I think is very apropos. That's why I picked it.
0: All right, called Torah Jew. And uh, it's coming up in just a moment. Now, you mentioned a moment ago something called the Four Corners Project. I know you did a little bit of explaining, but but do it in depth for us. What is this project all about, and how do people support it? Okay. So
2: the Four Corners Project is a 501c3. It's a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to reach the Jews scattered to the four corners of the world through music and media. And um, it will it is enabling my work to continue, because as we all know, the music industry has changed where music is not being purchased. It really is being given away. So the the, the question that you have to ask is, well, so how does an artist continue? And the answer is, it's got to be through sponsorships, through donations. And so this is the but but not only is the Four Corners Project going to be sponsoring music, it'll be sponsoring our webisode series, um, music videos, and even maybe movies down the line. Even maybe movies.
0: Because, so, remember, you you've had a movie in the hopper for a while now. Yes, I do. And it's still in the hopper, but it is totally ready to go. It's been developed
2: where it's ready to be cast, rehearsed, and shot. And the only thing missing is the budget. So... You know, there, there are so many different possibilities out there. But the the most amazing thing about it is it gives me the opportunity to create. And my wife said to me the other day, you, you have to be creating. You can't not create. So, luckily, in the last three months or so, I've written song parodies. I've written ten original Hebrew songs that we're going to be recording. You guys, you're guys, you getting all of this new stuff on, on JM and the AM. Nice. And, uh... This, this is what, you know, we must we must just keep giving content to the people. That's what I think.
0: Well, we agree, and that's one of the reasons we are featuring this incredible series of releases from Lenny Solomon. Everybody out there, you have an opportunity each and every month now to hear a brand new one from Lenny. Uh, today's is called Torah Jew. We're going to play it in just a moment. Again, how do people support you, Lenny? What do they do if they want to make a donation?
2: Here you do. Go to www.4, that's the number 4, cornersproject.org so it's www.4cornersproject.org and then just press the donate button it's right there
0: that's it all right uh hang on we're gonna do this song then we'll get your reaction to it okay you got it it's called Torah jew it is brand new it's lenny solomon Schlockrock rock at jm in the a.m. Mm-hmm.
4: Not the best place to learn the toll rod, so the car is where I go. Mm-hmm. It's me as my friend, we go driving in a sable which fuck rock on the car stereo. Mm-hmm. We get some information and we strengthen our conviction from beginner to advance. Now we're gonna land. Stop, keep on giving up our vanel. No need to leave it to chance. Cause now I think in this world we know is upside down. Money revered and integrity on the ground. You need something to believe, don't be lazy. Saying, God, we haven't talked so much, can't wait any longer. Learn some Jewish history. Abraham followed your lead, Abraham followed your lead. How mm-hmm. to be a Torah Jew, keeping kosher and Shabbat too. Love your neighbor just as you. All the rest is commentary. They've all said that we were doomed, but the 12 tribes just come through every day uncovering. To be a Torah Jew. All the rest is commentary. All the rest is commentary. All the rest is commentary. Every day uncovering the secret to how to be a Torah Jew. First week in, we learn of Adam's first Now to 24:48. Sign. I we shall do and we shall hear, now the people are complete. We walk for years and years with the manna and the cloud and God is showing the way. We enter the land cause that was the plan until we were driven away. And I'm singing this world we know is upside down. Admired are the handsome but that's pure vanity. You need something to believe. Don't be lazy, you'll hear me saying God, we haven't talked so much Abraham followed your lead, Abraham followed your lead Mm -hmm. How to be a Torah Jew, keeping kosher in Shabbat too Love your neighbor just as you
0: J.M. in the A.M., the King of Schlock, Lenny Solomon, is out with a brand new single on this Rosh Chodesh Elul. It's called Torah Jew. You just heard it. So, Lenny, what do you think, now that you've heard it on the show?
2: <laughs> I, think it's, I, I think it's just an amazing song. And um, the the purpose of Schlock Rock is to help teach and to inspire people to be proud of who they are. And I would ask all rabbis who are going into the classroom coming up to take this song to teach to teach about the story of Rabbi Akiva and to play this song to support their lesson and that's what we do and that's the purpose.
0: And chances are these days that in uh, a good number of schools kids will know that tune already.
2: Uh, actually 100% of the schools they will know that tune.
0: Yeah, 100%, that, that, 100% of the schools you have in mind will will know that yeah, song already. Well, exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go.
0: All right, um <laughs> Fourcornersproject.org, information about supporting the great work of Lenny Solomon, which we highly recommend. He's a proven commodity after all these years, after all. Fourcornersproject, the number four, by the way, fourcornersproject.org. And the webisodes, you've already released the first one on the webisodes. Yes, also
2: on Roche Godish Elul. All
0: right. Today. And J-I-M-M stands for? Jewish, inspirational, Jewish inspirational Musical Messages. And the webisode number one for season one is the God Sent Us Email. Now, should we play this on the air? You'd rather people go to the, uh, to YouTube or to your site and watch it.
2: Yeah, they should go to the site and watch it. It's a visual, and um, it, it's a really cool, cool show idea, it was going to be
0: every week. And it's a message followed by a song. In this case, it's your song, God Sent Us Email, right? Right. All right. That's right. Check it out, everybody. FourcornersProject.org, FourcornersProject.org on YouTube. You can literally search JIMM Webisode 1, JIMM Webisode 1, and you will find it. Lenny, always a pleasure. Hatzlah HaRabah, great new project. We look forward now every every month we have something to look forward to. How do you like that, huh? You got it. <laughs> everything Very go- exciting. Everything going well in Israel? Yeah, look
2: it's uh we're it's a very very special time of year here with uh, 30 days, 28 days now to Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. And uh you know, it's we heard that chauffeur in the shul this morning. Right. And it tells us all that uh, you know, <laughs> we have to we have to do what we have to do.
0: It's right around the corner. Right. And we have to remember that the future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. With last week we were with Ben B'Nefesh. 233 I know. 233 I really, Olim. it was just amazing amazing hey it was just incredible those are people who get the fact what you got years ago that the future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel and if you watch the events that are happening in this country and other countries very closely lenny there's no denying it the future of the Jewish people is exclusively in the state of Israel
2: i know i know you know uh, it's a, it's a, it's an unbelievable Unbelievably, I call it awesomely terrifying. It's an awesome time to be living because you have this technology, you have all this amazing stuff, and then it's terrifying because you you just don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next.
0: That's for sure. Well, on that happy note, we wish you a a wonderful Rosh Chodesh, and congratulations again. You too. Lenny Solomon, the king of schlock himself at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Lenny Solomon, the king of schlock. Up next, at one time, U.S. Ambassador Danny Ayalon, I should say Israeli Ambassador Danny Ayalon. Um, recently, his um, daughter joined the Israel Defense Forces. And we had an opportunity to speak with him about her uh, induction on a recent edition of JM in the AM. Ambassador Danny Ayalon, he's next at the Nahum Segal Network. Uh, Thursday morning broadcast on this uh, August 10th, the 18th of Av. Good morning, all one of the best representatives ever of the um, state of Israel, of the Jewish people, frankly, in our opinion. Uh, one-time Israeli ambassador to the United States, Danny Ayalon, is with us live via telephone. Mr. Ambassador, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom, Nahom.
5: It's a real pleasure to be back.
0: I greatly appreciate that. Let's start with the personal before I ask you about some of the things that are going on in the world and your view of them. Uh, the personal is that uh, it has become known, it seems, throughout the world at this point, uh, <laughs> that you have a daughter who just this week uh, went to the Israeli army. Tell us what that's like. Uh,
5: that's exactly it. Abigail, uh, Abigail, Abby is my uh, youngest daughter. And uh, we took her yesterday to the uh, drafting uh, center depot. And uh, we bid farewell. Um, a very, very proud moment, uh, emotional moment. Also, we are very proud that uh, she was selected to be in the paratroopers um, unit. She's going to be a paratroop, a uh, parachute uh, packer. And she's going to jump as well. And it's very exciting. You know, we here, we here have the national draft, which I think is great for the country and also for the young people who join the military, instill them pride and self-confidence in themselves and also in the country, in Israel.
0: How old is Abby? She is
5: 18 and a half. She it- just finished her, uh, graduated from um, her high school. And for the next two years, she will be in the Army.
0: In the scheme of things, and especially as one who has raised children in the United States, it seems remarkable that an 18-year-old can go straight to what essentially, I guess, is paratrooper training, right? That's essentially what she's doing.
5: Yes, absolutely. Um, But I think, you know, this is still, you know, it's an age where they can really give a lot and they can really form their ideals and their ideas and, and also their, their training better than, uh, than even at a, at a later uh, age. Um, my oldest daughter, Zohar, uh, we took her uh, just six years ago. She was a sharpshooter. And again, this service did a lot to make her mature and self-confident. And, and again, we're very proud of her.
0: Unbelievable. Danny Ayalona is with us. Uh, yesterday included uh, some melancholy or emotional moments for you, or you made it through without a problem? Well, we
5: made it through. It's amazing how different uh, the Army has become. Many, Much more technological, much more, I would say, even comfortable, convenient for the new uh, uh, draftees uh, because I took her, to the same place I went about forty years ago. <laughs>
3: yeah. To
5: get to yeah. <laughs> so, sir, so, yeah, it, it's always emotional.
0: What do you remember about that day forty years ago? What stood out in terms of the dis, <laughs> in terms of the dis, disorganization or the balagan that may have been going on then forty years ago?
5: Yeah. Well, what I remember very clearly, it was a real stormy day. Um, Insistent, uh, I mean, uh, non-stop uh, rain, and we were, of course, in uh, in huts and, and a lot of mud. I uh, joined the army in uh, February 70, 1974, so it was like three months after the Onkuper War. Right. So the the military was still kind of uh, reeling out of these uh, traumatic uh, times. Uh, you know, we lost uh, most of the casualties were in the armored force. So. Uh, I joined the Armored corps, a Force and uh, became an officer and, uh, again, enjoyed it very much.
0: And you're in the age group. I mean, quite obviously, you're in the age group where no doubt you knew people who lost their lives or certainly were injured in the war.
5: Absolutely. Uh I remember I was just, um, the war started, if you remember, in October. So I was just in between finishing high school and joining the army. So, of course, it was very frustrating for me and my peers to be behind. Uh, So we did what we could, um, uh, volunteering for uh, hospitals, for the blood bank, uh, uh, doing all kinds of uh, civil work that uh, would release more men
0: that uh, could go to the front, Danny. I is with us. We invited him on when we heard that his uh, daughter uh, went to the draft board yesterday. She's going to be a paratrooper in the Israeli army. God bless her. Um, Got to ask you a couple of questions as we as we first of all on a, on a, on a somewhat positive note. <laughs> we like to be positive when it comes to Israel. Here um, we we see what's happening with the media and the prime minister. We see the mixed messages from Washington about our relationship here with with Jerusalem. And yet we're marching forward and counting down, frankly, here at this radio program to Israel 70. April the 19th, we will celebrate this year on the 4th of ER, the 70th birthday of the state of Israel. With all that's been going on and all that you've seen over the last 50-plus uh, years, it's pretty remarkable, no?
5: Absolutely. And, and when I look at the progress, even during my uh, lifetime, and I wasn't here in the forty-eight uh, when the when the state was uh, re-established, it's amazing. And I would say now that uh, Israel really stands on its uh, own uh, feet with um, great, great achievements in technology, strategical, economical, uh, I would say also cultural. And uh, not only we are quite strong, um, independent of other countries uh, in an absolute way, in a relative way, we have opened a bigger gap between us and any uh, combination of uh, uh, enemies that surround us.
0: It is remarkable, And and we are celebrating all those accomplishments as we march toward the 70th anniversary. Before I let you go, Danny, I alone with us from Israel, before I let you go, just a comment or two on the couple of things I just brought up. First of all, you agree with me about the mixed messages from Washington? How would you uh, what would you say in terms of an overview of the Trump administration vis-a-vis Israel? Well,
5: uh, I would say, well, it's still a work in progress. Um, I I cannot decipher yet uh, the strategy and the over uh, you know overall uh, policy, but it is quite obvious that we have a very very supportive and uh, friendly uh, administration. Ambassador David Friedman, which is a friend of mine, and I know him, is, uh, is doing a great, remarkable uh, job. And I believe, and, and I told everybody that, you know, they, they can try, and I wish them really the best of luck. But it's not up to the United States to make this here. It's up to the Palestinians. And uh, so long as they keep their resistance to our very existence in our homeland, as long as they continue to be intransigent, uh, nothing will happen. Um I'm not sure, I'm not very optimistic, unfortunately, but again, I think that the Palestinians are always there to lose because their national leaders for the last 70, 80 years have really done a disservice to
0: them, and this is where they are. Can't agree with you more. And, and finally, as you watch the media versus Bibi and everything that's been going on, especially this week, uh, what do you think?
5: Well, on the one hand, you know, I think you should be very familiar with this Uh, from your uh, point of view, from your media. (laughs) This is what happens with the media in very, very free countries. Uh, And on the one hand, we don't want to be North Korea or uh, Iran or even uh, Russia. But there is a more than a grain of truth that uh, there is an elation here. In the media to see uh, Bibi's uh, troubles, legal troubles, and I think this is a little bit um, overdone. Uh, what did Bibi did uh, last night? He gathered his own supporters to uh, to balance all the negative reports. And uh, I, I tell everybody, we'll have just to wait and see. You know, uh, we know that uh, justice is being made in a in a slow fashion. And uh, and, and we have full trust in our Justice Department, in our uh, Police Department, and uh, everywhere else, of course, uh, judges and Supreme Courts. But right now, uh, from a political point of view, I don't see anything happening uh, soon because uh, investigations take a long time, and uh, rightly so. The professional investigators have to take their time to do their job in a thorough way and also in a responsible way.
0: I thank you for sharing Abby's uh, accomplishments with us, and to you and your family, and thanks so much for joining us this morning, Mr. Ambassador.
5: Thank you, for my pleasure.
0: Ambassador Deni Ayalon, Mazal Tov to him and his family, as Abby, his 18-and-a-half-year-old girl, is on her way to the paratroopers in the Israeli army. Pretty amazing and pretty incredible and always great to get his opinion about what's happening in this amazing world of ours. Ten minutes before 8 o'clock. Plenty more coming up. It's J.M. The- that was my conversation with Ambassador Danny Ayalone. Up next, Charles Roseney. We spoke with him about the, his plans for Club Kosher to go to Cuba. Could you imagine? They've got a big trip planned. In, in fact, two trips planned for this January. Charles Roseney of Club Kosher. He's next on J.M. Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. in the morning. It's 8.00 in the a.m. Wednesday. Well, this caught our eye. This caught our eye, to say the least. Club Kosher has announced that starting on January the 14th, they are doing two trips to Cuba. No joke. Club Kosher, as they put it, Cuba Kosher, finally, starting on Sunday, January the 14th through that Friday and Sunday, January the 21st through that Friday, Exclusive Glot Kosher vacation with freshly prepared delicious cuisine, where? In Cuba. All brought to you by Club Kosher. Information, clubkosher.com, clubkosher.com. Charles Roseney, who, of course, uh, we know very well, great friend from our days with Club Kosher. He is with us live via telephone about this big news story. Charles Roseney. welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Great to be here. I greatly appreciate that. This is This is amazing. This is quite a step, quite a move. I mean... Who first approached you, or when did this idea sprout up to go to Cuba?
6: Uh, Believe it or not, about five, six years ago, whenever uh, um, our former president kind of opened up, you know, the travel to Cuba a little better, right. and we said, well, you know, people have been asking for this for years, maybe it's actually a possibility, and we got them things in motion to do it. Um, when when we found out that Trump was closing the board, we really got a little more aggressive, and we have a partner, Jewish guy, who uh, it goes to Cuba, like, every other week. He's been doing this all his life. He's a few food distributor, a real mensch, and one of his goals in life was to someday do this. He didn't know how it could be done. He said he wanted to bring groups to Cuba and and, and be able to give them kosher food and have a great vacation, and uh, so we, we met, we pre- pretty much said it can't be done, got together again, and and tested it. We tested it in May with a, a non-kosher group. I brought a group over uh, ju- just to sightsee, just to have fun, just to go to places, and then brought them back, and it gave them, you know, the normal food, <laughs> non-kosher food, and, and they ate and enjoyed. It was a non-Jewish group, but I did all the elements that I would do with a Jewish group, aside From bringing the kosher food, which he can do and we can do, and I said, you know, this worked so well. The format was great. The morning time we spent for breakfast, we can add the extra time for davening. The afternoon when we were on the on the road and we brought them uh, food to eat on the road, that worked. Coming back then, having a nice sit-down dinner. Well, we added that we in our brain we added a time for Mimchad (laughs) Miruv. So everything we did on that trip we did with the knowledge that this was going to be the template for what we do when we do a kosher group, and it's different than our past... Club Kosher Vacations, which is mostly sitting on the beach and relaxing all day, and here it's a real... Like, like on Israel, you, you're, you're doing stuff. You're, you're eating, you're having delicious food, but you're also doing the time that you need you know, to dive, and you're also sightseeing. And then after, you know, you do everything at night, after you have dinner and, and, and fish diving and everything else, then we take everybody back out and we do nighttime activities. So it's very special. We've got governmental permission. We're the only people, I think, who are allowed to do this. We think that what's going to be very, very successful. We announced it, you know, just a few days back and already have half, half sold out our first week in January and uh, uh, have a lot of room on the second week. But only, we're only allowed 50 reservations total. So it's not like I can do, you know, 1,000 people. And right. the response has been phenomenal.
0: Charles Roseney is with us. Club Kosher going to Cuba January the 14th. That's a Sunday. Till that Friday the 19th. And again, the uh, 21st of January till Friday the 26th. Uh, so there's no Shabbos involved, which makes life a lot easier. And you, you mentioned the sightseeing. I'm just curious, is there a lot to see? Is there a lot of activity to uh, to do in Cuba?
6: Oh, my gosh, you can pr- pretty much spend two weeks doing things and, and not repeat the same things, but we're tweaking a normal sightseeing tour of Cuba um, and adding the synagogues of Cuba. Um, but but in, in a normal uh, trip, you know, in these days, yeah, one day is museums, one day is old Havana, one day is uh, taking a ride in the classic cars. When I was there, all these pictures you see of Cuba, it's accurate. There's all these old 50s and 60s vintage cars, and they're restored just beautiful what the people do is because there's no snow and there's not that grime there the cars can actually last and they just keep rebuilding the motors and keep uh fixing things because they can't get things new there like they can in other parts of the, of the world
0: you know this whole program by the way uh which is uh 1999 it seems to me extremely cost efficient yet it includes all the flights and transfers everything people need with, regarding visas and documents you guys help take care of I mean, is there anything in this package that's not taken care of? Your tips and souvenirs. That's it, huh? <laughs> people,
6: people are really surprised. They call me and we say, "Well, how am I going to get a flight? You know, to, to Cuba?" And and I go, "Don't worry about it. We're taking care of your flights. We're taking care of your visas. Really, your food. Everything is included. And it's it's an introductory price. Obviously, if somebody goes on a on a Cuba educational tour with a group, and that's really how you can go uh, to Cuba if you want to go uh, uh, on your own. Um, they're paying three or four thousand dollars. So when imagine. they see a you know a nineteen ninety nine price tag, it's it's, it's you know and it's very appealing we're able to do it because we, we we have an inside track on so many of these things but you know we want it to be successful the first time so that god willing future uh holidays and and other occasions and if we if it goes as successfully as it will
0: maybe the government will say okay yes, next group of you can bring 500 well, well, people well my my, po- my my point is so, people uh, and people are never people the in the our com- why. Yeah my point is people in our community are never going to get a week a kosher week in cuba at this price it's impossible they're right. never going to get it again
6: it's pretty special. The price is spe- the whole vacation is special, obviously, and, and, you know, the the whole Cuba kosher finally is really, uh, you know, stands out and, and grabs people. But when they see the price, it's, you know, wh- where can I send the money? It's Everyone wants to be involved in it. And I'm
0: sure people are asking themselves if it's safe. What would you say about, uh, you know, traveling around Cuba?
6: It's safer than I don't want to insult any uh, Newark. It's safer than traveling around, you know. And lots of I've never felt as secure and, and comfortable in a country, and I've been all around the world. Uh, Cuba, it's it's it, the people are great. Um, we're constantly with professional tour guides who speak both languages. We're in a you know in a bus. We're traveling at all times as a coach. Even when we went into the inner cities, and you know we did we we did uh, what we call person to person mitzvah. You know, we brought little packs of, of um, toothpaste and, and things that, you know, people uh, have a hard time getting uh, quality stuff from the states, and we gave them out, you know, as, as a gift. It made everybody feel very good. We set aside a day to do that, and then we also then go to the marketplace and buy souvenirs like crazy, um, we, we felt so secure and so comfortable and so safe. And the people were as curious about Americans as we were about the way they lived.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. All right. Uh, Charles Rosene, best way for people to get information about traveling kosher to Cuba. What should people do?
6: Uh, The website is www.clubkosher.com, or they can call us. We have an office in Connecticut, and we're here to answer any questions because people have a lot of questions and are very curious but also want to sign up. It's 203-795-4737.
0: 203-795-4737, the website clubkosher.com. They're heading to Cuba starting on January the 14th. Charles Rosene, always a delight. Good luck with this. It looks like it's going to be an amazing journey.
6: Oh, Thank you so much. Great talking with you. God bless.
0: Be well. Charles Rosene, Club Kosher, incredible. They, they do amazing stuff, and this one just caught our eye. <laughs> going to Cuba Sunday, January the 14th at an insanely low price and for a fantastic Jewish kosher vacation. Pretty amazing. By the way, I believe, unless I am mistaken, I believe that second week, January twenty first through to twenty sixth, is Yeshiva break. If I'm not mistaken, and really, the, tr- the truth is, you could do it the first week also. You just would miss three days of school. Not that I'm advocating missing school, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so that really is convenient as well for uh, for people out there. That was Charles Roseney of uh, Club Kosher talking about the upcoming trips to Cuba, the kosher trips to Cuba. And I thank you very much for tuning in to JM Rewind. Plenty more coming up as you keep it here at the Nachum Siegel Network. And uh, make sure to be tuned in next week when we revisit some of our wonderful conversations from JM and AM on the next edition of JM Rewind right here at the Nachum Siegel Network.
7: And aguda of us will be the same, The trees, Hearing everyone who sees Singing melodies of what the world can be The sun, the moon, the ocean Stirring up emotion Winds of change, tales of you and me Hearts and souls uniting An end to all of fighting Realize redemption has begun children crying, we love each other, just cause we are one. Piyayasuchulam aguda achas, ki ishechad v'levechad.